book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at just verse 21 as far as the sermon goes, but we'll read in a moment uh, a little bit uh, greater number of verses that surround this verse 21. And since we're going to be looking at just one verse today, I thought it'd be most fitting to say the same verse, the same thing, 12 different ways. And what, what you'll hear next is a, a list of 12 different translations of the same verse, all saying the same thing, but in different, but also co quite uh, complementary and helpful ways. So here this morning, Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, the King James adds, lest they be discouraged. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Parents, don't be hard on your children. If you are, they might give up. Parents, do not irritate your children or they will become discouraged. Fathers, do not make your children resentful. Otherwise, they'll become discouraged. Fathers, do not make your children resentful. Otherwise, they'll become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children so they will not become disheartened. A little different there. Fathers, do not fret and harass your children, or you will make them sullen and morose. The fathers, vex not your children, lest they become discouraged. You ever do this? Pull up one verse of the Bible and just filter through all the different ways that different translators have said. It's a really healthy and helpful way to study the scriptures, to get a full range of what that verse is actually saying. Sometimes we can read a verse and become so familiar with it, especially as it's quoted oftentimes out of context, that we will shift from the whole meaning of the scripture. So we build up this theology behind a verse that might not actually be within the context of where that verse is actually found. So doing this list of translations really helps to open our eyes to all the different angles we might look at uh, this. Of all those translations, though, I think that the NASB 1995 edition nails the best, or at least hits home to my own heart. Not to be confused with the NASB. The 1995, they shifted from that and made another one. But this is what the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, 1995 says. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That is my favorite of all those. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. This, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Not exasperating our children so that they do not become discouraged or lose heart. Now, if you would allow me to read this uh, verse 21 uh, within the greater context of uh, where it's found in Colossians. I'll begin in Colossians 3, starting in verse 18, and reading all the way down might be a little bit odd, but we're going to read the first verse of chapter uh, 4, so 3.18 to 4.1. Uh, as we have looked at this scripture so many times before, I want you to highlight and focus on the fathers today and how this fits into the greater context of the household. These are the words of God, church. Let's give attention to them. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. 
Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come once again to your holy and inspired word. We believe in this book, but we believe even more strongly in Jesus, who this Bible, these scriptures point us to. And Lord, we pray this morning that as we open up your word, that you would give us eyes to see, Give us ears to hear, and I pray that Christ would be shining forth in the text that we've seen. I pray that this would drive us to Him. We thank you, Lord, that your scriptures have a, have a way about it to where it serves as a mirror, as a reflection of our own hearts. We see that the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So we, we know, Lord, that there's commandments and laws that lead us to your Son, Jesus. Lord, let us find Christ this morning in this text. Let us not become discouraged. Let us be faithful fathers, faithful parents, loving our children well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been looking at children as they fit into the greater context of the household. And we've talked about this. Their, their presence, as we've seen, um, is an invaluable asset to the family. They are the very hope and substance of our future. We value our children around here. And it would be impossible to list the totality of reasons why we might want to say children matter. They are so important to us. But for today's purposes, we're going to shift from the children to the parents. Okay, we, we have been looking at the relationship from children to parents. Now we're going to look at parents to children, the kind of the other way around. And you'll notice as we look at the context here, it's set in the authority structures of the household, as this entire household series has been. Just as important, you'll see, as the obedience of the child to his parents is also the obedience of the parents to God, right? Because we serve a master in heaven as well. We've kind of seen this already in the text. So they too, we parents, will be held accountable. So the context here really is going back to the, the, the possible abuse of authority because we have that in the home over our children. Anytime a chain of command is put in place, though, you run the risk of abusing the power given to you. And the warning here is particularly given to the fathers. It's given to the fathers. Now, while I do think that this applies to the mothers as well as the fathers, uh, it's, it's talking to the fathers here. Okay? Mothers, yes, you are in charge and you are in authority over your children. But I don't want to act like this text here says mothers, because it doesn't. It says fathers. Okay? And it's not that the, the scripture doesn't have the language for parents, because we just looked at that in the, the prior weeks, right? Children obey your parents. Okay? God had good reason for inspiring it that way. Okay? It's not as if the gender suddenly didn't matter after telling the clear structures of the household about wives and husbands. Right? We know that those are important roles. That the sexes matter. And on top of that, Paul has just instructed, as I just said, children obey your parents. Okay? Not just children obey your fathers, children obey your parents. So what I take from this is that God knew what he was doing when he said fathers. The word means something. Okay? So why is he talking to the fathers? Well, I believe the reason that he goes to the fathers is because the father is the head of the household. 
He, he is the ultimate head of the household. When a, that man, the father of that household, gives an account to God for his house, he isn't just responsible for himself. As fathers, we are responsible for our wives. We are responsible for our children and everything under our authority in our household. So what God is doing here through this text is going straight to the source. He's going to dad. He's going to the fathers. Okay? If a child is going to be exasperated by the parent, it is up to the fathers to stop this, whether it's himself causing this provocation, whether it's his wife causing this, or anything else under his authority. The father is in charge of stopping the exasperation, the provocation of the children leading to despair, leading to discouragement. Fathers, we are the ones that God entrusts us, uh, entrusts to the children. Okay, the, the exasperation of the child is ultimately left in the hands of the father to protect against. So, what is this command? Okay, we've been talking about this, this sin of provoking, provocation. Okay, let's talk about the command. Do not provoke, it says. Do not embitter, another translation says. Do not aggravate, antagonize, be hard on, irritate, make resentful, fret, harass, or vex. Okay, this translation list, it begins to expose some of the fallen condition in us parents. Like we, we, we read different things and different words ring home for us, don't they? It, it, it helps us to realize that we're all in this together as parents. Okay? Some of these things, some of these words hit more uh, closely to different people. But while this text only gives one word for provoke, it just says provoke, there are millions of ways that we could break this command as parents. And we need to be plain about the fact that any breach of this command, any breach of obedience to God that is given here, when it says do not provoke, anytime you are provoking, that is what? It's sin. Is a sin. We want to be open and honest about the fact that God has commandments, and when we break those commandments, it is sin, and sin leads to death. So we ought to take this very seriously. This is a grave issue. This isn't just good parenting advice from God. Okay, this isn't just, I think it'll, it'll go well with you if you do this. It is partly that, but that's not all it is. Okay? This is God's protection over his creation that he has built into the order of the household. He says, I like households. I like families. I made it this way. This is the order. Stick to it or else. Or else discouragement will come. Okay? There's consequences. So, so when we break this order of the household, there are consequences. But before we move on to the consequences, I want to flesh out what we mean by that word provoke. So let's talk about the meaning of provocation, the sin of provocation. Well, an overly simplistic reading of this would be to take the word provoke and kind of run with it, not keeping the whole context in mind. When I hear the word provoke, maybe a simple and, and childish and not a great understanding of this verse might be to uh, think of talking about like the playful father, right? So sometimes playful fathers provoke their kids where they pester their kids and be, they tickle their ear when they run by. The, they give them wet willies and they're, they're pinching their bottoms sometimes, giving them butt biting beetles as my uh, grandpa <laughs> grandpa is so fond of doing. That's not what it's talking about, I don't think. Okay. If we read this real quickly, we're, we're liable to think something small and trite like that. I don't think that's what it's talking about. The context here is something much more serious than just pestering your kids, giving little jokes on them. Okay, It's not talking about that. This is talking about the abuse of power. The abuse of power. Because that's, that's the context here. right? We're fitting this into the household. We've been talking about all the authority, uh, authority structures. It's talking about power and the abuse of it. It's acknowledging that the parents are indeed in authority over the children, but not outside the authority under God. Okay, so we as parents, we stand before God under his authority, even though we stand over the authority of our children. It's keeping the parents in check with their responsibilities. 
The warning is against power-hungry leaders that seek control rather than shepherding in love. Now think about that, how that would apply to your children, how we might want to control them. Now, when I speak this way, it's really easy for all of us in the room to talk about the, the controlling father and say, yeah, down with those awful dads that are just horrible to their kids, that provoke their kids. But let's all acknowledge that this is something that creeps up on us almost without knowing. Okay, this, this sin of provocation. No father wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll provoke my kids today. I think I'm going to make their life as discouraging and horrible as possible. No dad does that. Okay? It, it's something that seems to come out of nowhere. It doesn't, but it seems like, like that. And I'm sure every one of you in here have witnessed the sin of provocation leading uh, a child to discouragement at some point. Maybe you saw it on the park play out. Maybe you saw it at a family reunion. Maybe you saw it here in church. I don't know. But it usually goes something like this. In the parents' exasperation, in the parents' exhaustion, in the parents' discouragement, he or she is provoked to anger and then takes that anger out on the child. Okay, Passed on from mom or dad down to the kid. And as onlookers, it breaks our heart to watch the child suffer under the heavy hand of the parent. Right, But for you parents in the room, you also realize how easy it is to fall into this vicious cycle. Right? How easy it is to let loose on your kids when you are discouraged, when you are exasperated, when you've had enough, when there's five spilled milks in the room, a poopy diapers everywhere, a baby screaming like crazy. You understand, you've been in those moments before, those of you who have had kids, how easy it is to lose your cool. Okay? This is a vicious cycle. But, but you don't have to, the, the thing we need to realize here, you don't have to come from a rough home an abusive family, or a sketchy upbringing to have the sin of provocation swell up in your own heart. It's not just them. It can happen to us too. And I'm not just talking about physical abuse. right? It, we need to get deeper than this. It's not just talking about beating your kids. This is talking about verbal abuse, emotional abuse, just being simply too hard on your kids towards pushing them to an area where they shouldn't be mentally, where they shouldn't be emotionally, where they shouldn't be spiritually. Right? There's all kinds of ways that we can fall into this. Now, on the one hand, if you think about it, and we're thinking about the fathers, fathers tend to be overbearing and controlling, some of them. But on the other hand, there's fathers that tend to be apathetically passive and allow the children to walk all over them, right? We, we kind of have both fathers out, them, out there in the room, that some, some are overbearing, some are uh, passive. But, but the ironic thing about this is that a man can only take so much uh, and for so long before he explodes on the children or implodes on himself in depression and uh, discouragement. Either either one leads to losing heart and discouragement. Either one, whether passively or actively exasperating the child, can be sinfully provoking the child to lose heart. Be discouraged. And you all have probably seen it. The father who cannot manage anything outside his home, right? His home's a mess, so he micromanages the children inside his home, okay? Because they're the one thing he can control. Why? Because he's bigger than them. Right? That, that's usually what it comes down to. Dad's bigger than them. He can make his kids do what he wants to do. So, so he's constantly dictating what extracurricular activities the kids should participate in, whether they like it or not, pointing out every minor mistake. You did this wrong. You didn't do it like that. Insisting on specific methods, redoing the tasks if they didn't meet his standards and showing how bad of a job the child did. This exhausting form of parenting that's easy to fall into backfires. It blows up in our face. In an effort to parent the child, what we'll find is that it crafts them into twice the child of hell that we thought that they were going to be, that we thought that we were leading them away from. It usually just blows up in our face and creates another one of bad parents uh, for another generation. 
And let's not be so naive to think it's just the fathers either. It's not just dads that do this. Moms do it as well. I've seen some vicious mothers out there. Okay? There's, some, there's some moms out there that have lost their cool on uh, children, no doubt. Okay? And I think sometimes it's even harder for moms because they're the ones that are usually with the children all day. right? They are the ones that constantly have to see the, the discouraging situation that their children might be in. That they see it all day long. They can't get away from it. Okay, so so it's not just fathers; it's also mothers. Okay, we all deal with this. No one is immune to this vicious cycle of being exhausted as a parent and taking that out on the kids. Now, if you can't tell, though, I'm I'm trying to emphasize that this happens cyclically more than it does randomly. Okay? It doesn't just come out of nowhere. This this pattern happens cyclically. The parents are exasperated, so they exasperate. Right. It's kind of like the saying, hurt people, hurt people. Okay? It's just said a different way. Exasperated people, exasperate people. That's what happens. So, so we need to ask, well, what are the effects of this? What are the effects of provocation? Say it's not cut off, what happens? Well, th this kind of upbringing, it breaks a child's spirit. It's horrible. A beaten down child who has lost his heart, like lost his spirit. That, that, that's more than a snapshot of individual sin where one person has done that and you say, that's bad. That, that's, a, that's a social travesty. It's, it's, it's a tragic thing to see a child go through this. It hurts everyone, not just that kid, not just that parent. It's, it's something that is a, a, a lack, a failure of the community. There's something missing when a child is walking around in a community that is beat down and broken. Everyone feels it, right? You've all witnessed it probably in some shape or form before. It starts out where someone abuses a power that is given to them. Okay, Be it the father, mother, a boss, or something like it. A person was overly harsh on someone and did something to their spirit that was irrepar irreparably uh, damaged. Something that words couldn't even fix. A kind of wound that only God himself could heal. That person and their woundedness failed to obtain the grace of of God extended to him or her, and they grew embittered. They grew resentful, discouraged. It hurt, but they didn't let anyone touch it. That they were they were in pain. They were wallowing in their suffering, and they didn't let anyone attend to it. They didn't let anyone touch that hurt except, well, no one really, not even God himself. And that's why they grew in that discouraged state. And that person there had kids. And then the cycle continued on. They were discouraged, so they just projected that discouragement on the child. Now, despite the good intentions of wanting the best for our kids, our provocation begins to take its toll. It leaves our children overwhelmed, suffocated, and unable to make decisions or take initiative on their own. This is the effect that this takes on us. They become resentful and withdrawn, feeling constantly under surveillance and never trusted to be able to handle anything independently. It breaks a person down. When a person is constantly being provoked, being aggravated, being embittered, being exasperated. And as a result, when we parent like this, the relationship will become strained, feeling exasperated by our overbearing behavior. Our children will long for autonomy, for freedom, and, and, and the opportunity to learn from his or her mistakes, but feel stifled by our own hunger for control and how we make them do what we want them to do, rather than doing what is best for them. And in the end, instead of fostering growth and confidence in our kids, our provocation and exasperation only serves to breed frustration and resentment in our children. The picture itself here is the warning. Just thinking about it. Just think about that, that idea of a child being broken down. 
that, that someone, but especially a child, might kind of just give up. Give up on life. Lose heart, as the scripture says, with, with a broken spirit about them. This is what happens when you allow your heavy thought, your heavy word, or your heavy deed to run unleashed from the authority of God. These are the consequences. So that's why God gives this order to the household, to protect it from self-destruction. He says, I know you have tendencies towards this. Don't do this. And if you do do this, this these are the consequences. So the, the real question is, is, if this is a cycle, this is a problem, the question is, is, well, how do you stop it? How do you break free from this? How do you get out? If dad is discouraged and provokes his kid to discouragement, how does this kid with a broken spirit have any hope? Or, or the father, for that matter, the, the father with a broken spirit. How does he find hope and keep from hurting someone else? Okay. How does one restore the soul of his home once it's been broken? That's what we're really asking. A broken household, how do you fix it? How do you get that soul, that life back to a household that's been suffering under this sin of provocation, under this discouragement, this heavy-handedness and abuse of power? Well, I'll tell you how. It's not by just saying, stop it. Okay? That doesn't help. Okay? Saying that's bad, don't do that, isn't going to do anything but put guilt and shame on the person that's doing it. Guess what? Everyone knows it's bad. Everyone knows you should stop it, including the person that is currently doing that. Right? That's, everyone knows that. That's no news to anyone. So saying stop it doesn't help. So what are we to do if we find ourselves exasperated and discouraged in this situation? Well, we're going to get a little bit of help from Pastor Paul in a second, but, but first I want to ask you something. If you've heard this saying before, have you heard the saying that says, God won't give you anything that you can't handle? God will not give you something that you can't handle. Let me just tell you something. That's not true. <laughs> it's just not. It's something that's passed around from uh, in Christian circles. And we say this, but what, what that really is, is that's something that people say that haven't gone through what you're currently going through, and they don't know what else to say. right? That, let's be honest about it. That's what people say. God won't give you more than you can handle. False. He, he for sure will give you something more than you can handle. The scriptural picture is actually a, a little bit grimmer than we often think. Consider Paul, the pastor Paul, when he was trying to encourage the discouraged Christians in Corinth. So this is his good news to the church in Corinth. They're, they're longing for comfort. They're longing for help. How do we get out? They're experiencing suffering. And his plan to get God's comfort to them isn't what you might expect. This was his encouragement in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10. This is what Paul says to help the church out. For we do not want you to be uh, unaware, brothers... That the affliction we experience, or of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Did you catch that correction to the popular belief? Paul says that we were burdened, utterly burdened, by the way, utterly burdened beyond what they could handle. He said, that's too much. It's beyond our strength. I can't do it. God gave me something that I couldn't do. He gave me a situation that was more than I could handle. Why? Paul tells us why. To make them rely not on themselves, but on the God who raises the dead, is what Paul says. God is giving them a situation to help them reach their wit's end. 
to get to that very tipping point. In other words, the disparity was fertile ground for salvation because it helped them realize they had no hope in themselves, that they couldn't do it. That's what they needed. That was the good news that the church in Corinth needed. God gives us more than we can handle to make us realize only he can handle us the way that we need him. Okay? That only he can do it. That only he can handle our children the way that they need handling. Right? When you're, when you're throwing your hands up in the air and you're saying, I can't do it, God's like, that's right. That's what I've been trying to tell you. You can't do it. That that's what we need to hear. It's the same God, Jesus Christ, who I believe gives us the resurrection solution to the exasperation that you might find yourself contributing to. When you are feeling dead inside, tempted to let loose on your kids, let them have it because they deserve it, right? Let's just be honest. Wipers and diapers is what they call them. Remember that you are indeed about to show that you cannot handle being a parent. You're going you're gonna to let them know you can't do it. You're about to show your kids that. Everyone in here who has kids knows that you are not able to handle your kids, right? You've been there before, and you realize, I'm not in control of this situation. I don't think anyone's in control. The kids aren't in control. I'm not in control. Who's in control here? We get there as parents, and this is actually a good place if you can check yourself and catch yourself when you're there. Okay? They're, they're, the, the fact is that children are just too discouraging. Children are too discouraging. They're too exasperating. They're too aggravating. They're too vexing. They're plain old provoking to deal with. That's what kids are. We were all kids once, and we're still kids sometimes. Right? That's us. We, we are hard to deal with. But in that moment of despair, you need to remember Paul's encouragement. God has led you here to make you not rely on yourself and think that you have it all together, but to rely on the God who raises the dead, the resurrection God, Jesus Christ. Your spirit, left in and of yourself, is as good as dead to handle your kids rightly when you're in this state. You can't do it. But God comes to speak life over that dead situation and raise a dead household by what Christ has already done for us. That's how you bring a dead household back to life. You run to Jesus. He's the only one that brings dead things back to life. When you call on the God who raises the dead, you're also calling on the one who has already went through this for you. Jesus has been there. He's done that. He's went through suffering. He's went through disparity. He's went through all of this. And in that moment, guess what? He is your only friend to be there to speak the good truth to you. That you can't do it. That's what we need. We don't need Job's friends telling us why we're having this happen to us. We don't need all this bad advice of how to fix it on our own and this five-step plan. What we need is someone to come and tell us, you can't do it in your own strength. You're done. You're at, this is out of your control. But there's someone that can help. There's someone that can help in this time of need. Someone who's always there that sticks closer than a brother. A friend that's there to tell you in your time of need that you can't do it in your own strength. But the good news is that by the finished work of Jesus Christ, the resurrection power is available to you by his spirit that indwells in you if you believe in him. That spirit is very helpful in that time. That Holy Spirit, the comforter, that's what you need in those moments. You need comfort. You need help. You need boldness. You need courage to face this situation that you can't do on your own. His grace is sufficient for you. And in our weakness, he is made perfect. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses, the scripture. That's something that we need to remember in those moments. Church, let me close with this very practical solution to the provoking problem, to the sin of provocation. This is your, your, your way out when you are tempted to provoke your children to anger. Boast in your inability. Get cheery about it. 
almost weird about it, laugh in it, glory in your weakness, bring all your attention to your absolute inadequacy for the task of raising another human being. In that moment, you almost need to literally throw your hands up in the air and just chuckle and say, I can't do this. I literally can't do this. Okay? You need to get there when you are parenting. Because if you still think that you can hold it together and you're stressed and you're straining, you're trying, like, like, I can do this, I can do this. No, you can't. Stop. For when we are weak in ourselves, we are strong in Christ. And the best way to go about this is to let the joy of the Lord be your strength. This has been a theme that we've been coming back to a lot the last couple of weeks. The, the joy of the Lord being your strength. In these situations, you can either laugh or cry. Right? That's, that's usually how it is. And that's usually the result. You either get one of the two. You burst out in tears and you can't take it anymore and you're in despair. Or you can laugh about it. You, you can let the joy of the Lord kind of take you over. And, and there's, there's a time for everything. But in moments like these, the household needs a joyful heart. They need a joyful mom or dad to be able to whip things back in order and say, we're out of line. We've messed up. Uh, we've messed up big, but we need to bring things back into order. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. We don't need fathers breaking down and crying on their kids. What we need is fathers to man up with a joyful spirit, realize that they can't do it, run to Jesus, and to lead their kids there too. Okay? A good laugh at your human frailty and absolute dependence upon Christ heals the exasperation in a surprising way. It almost is like a jarring effect that you have when you realize uh, what God is doing. Uh, when, you, when you get to this place, throw your hands up in the air, and you're, you're almost letting the joy of the Lord wash over you, pair that with mentally preaching the gospel to yourself in these moments, and it's like honeycomb to a crushed soul. It's healing to your bones. It's medicine. You need that in that moment. And what you will find is that uh, when you do this, your kids are kind of disoriented by this godly strength. I've seen this played out with, with my own kids, where we get to this point and we're just like, can't, can't anymore. So there's this godly strength that takes over. You're joyful in the Lord, and the joy of the Lord becomes this strong arm against the, the sin of provocation. And it kind of shocks the family and the household back into order to where you're able to go and love your kids, bring them nurture and admonishment in the Lord. To, to, and then that's what they really need in this moment more than anything. They don't need more provoking. They don't need more commandments. They don't need more heaviness brought down on them. What they need in that moment is nurture. What they need is admonishment. They don't need discouragement. They need encouragement. Okay? That's where we need to get as fathers. That's where we need to get as parents when we're parenting our children and we're just out at our wit's end. And what this does is it shifts our own heart toward your child from a place of control and manipulation over them to shepherding their heart towards God saying, God gave me to you, kid, you're out of my control, and you always have been out of my control. But guess what? I'm going to take you to Jesus, and he's going to be in control of both of us. He's the one that can actually take care of us and be that loving hand of grace to lead us where we need to go. When we see the power of God at work in you, and when, when, we, when they see this, uh, this resurrection power, because that's what it is, it's the Holy Spirit working in you, when they see this, it brings joy and encouragement to the children instead of discouragement. And this is how you keep from provoking your children to discouragement. This is the, the pattern. This is what we need to do to bring revival to a dead and dying house. Otherwise, we're going to suffer. We're going to go through some very, very difficult seasons. And until we can learn to rely, rely on God, boast in our weakness, recognize that we can't do it, we will keep this cycle of grief going. What we need is we need out. We need out to break free from the cycle of and shift into a cycle of grace where we realize, I've been forgiven. I never could do this. 
God's already made provisions for me to be able to walk in newness of life. He's resurrected from the dead. And that same power of the resurrection can then be applied to that situation where the gospel shifts you all out of that mentality. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you admonish us, you nurture us as your children. We thank you that you do not deal with us in a kind of way that exasperates and provokes us to anger, but actually draws us closer to yourself and your nurturing love to help us to realize that we can't live life on our own, that we need a loving parent. That's what your love does to us, is it reminds us that we can't be wise in our own eyes and think that things can go well. We thank you for the humility that you pour upon us in our disparity. And Lord, I pray that you would... um, Heal all the households in this room that might be broken. Anyone going through this uh, kind of thing right now with their children, I pray that you would bring encouragement to the situation, to the parents and also to the children. I pray that you would help us as Village Church to have healthy households. That's what we've been striving for through all of this series, is to to give a biblical picture of what it looks like to have a a flourishing, a thriving family. As we see the the household just absolutely uh, exploding, on itself, imploding, collapsing on itself out there. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us as we're building here at Village, building something that will withstand the hard day of tribulation, will withstand hard times. When everyone else's households are collapsing, we pray that we will remain steadfast and movable in the gospel of Jesus Christ, ready to take on whatever you might bring our way, recognizing that we can't do it on our own. And Lord, always keep us fresh in the gospel, running to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue to worship this morning. The response to God's word. Let's stand and sing together. He lives. You'll find this on hymn number 550.